The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Alliance Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back to the Rebel Podcast. Uh, in studio today is actually just P Nate on his own, alone in Garage Mahal. Uh, I'm actually not alone. Dave is over on the uh, on the knobs and dials, making sure that uh, I sound okay. But uh, I am pootyless. I am Ben Emeryless. I am guestless. It is just me. Um, and uh, and I'm starting to get the sense um, that uh, podcasting on your own would be a very lonely endeavor. So uh, thankful for the people that I normally get to podcast with, but uh, uh, it is just me today. And so what you're going to get is actually just uh, P Nate going through some uh, some news clips. So it's going to be a whole episode of Rebel News and some of the things going on in the world around us. Um, but I'll start off just by plugging the network. We are the Rebel Podcast, or I guess today I am the Rebel Podcast. Um, but we are part of the Rebel Alliance Media and the Rebel Alliance Media. You can find all our stuff at rebelalliancemedia.com. We also have a Patreon page, uh, patreon.com slash rebelalliance. It's a way to support everything that's going on, which is blog posts, videos on engaging culture, teaching series and podcasts. The podcasts are uh, Fathers of the Faith for Covenant Kids, which is a podcast uh, with kids for families, uh, teaching your kids a little bit about church history and a little bit about the fathers of the faith who helped to shape uh, Christianity as we know it. Uh, that comes out on Mondays. Uh, Grant and Erica Van Brimmer on Tuesdays come with Awakening Reformation podcast where they delve into some Reformed theology and talk about how, to, how it impacts culture and the world around them. Rebel podcast uh, here talking about uh, culture in general and uh, and working through uh, ways to engage the culture. Uh, ben Emery's podcast, Redeeming History, is just concluding its first season, uh, which is called End of the Age, and you can check that out, dropping on Thursdays. And on Friday, uh, we have just brought on a new podcast that we are uh, extremely happy to partner with, and that is the Podcast for Cultural Reformation coming out of the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity, and that's with uh, Ryan Aris hosting, uh, along with Joe Boot, uh, Dr. Joe Boot, uh, theologian, author, pastor extraordinaire. Uh, so we're just uh, excited about all the podcasts on the network. As we said, we drop uh, videos on engaging culture uh, on Facebook, and uh, there's there's blogs continually coming out, teaching series, eschatology series, uh, Find it all at rebelalliancemedia.com. So uh, that's what uh, what is happening. And uh, the network itself is, is committed to equipping Christians to engage culture with a biblical worldview. And uh, so if that sounds up your alley, then I would encourage you to check out all our resources at rebelalliancemedia.com. Uh, like I said, today I'm going to jump into a whole lot of headlines, a whole lot of rebel news, um, how we ought to be thinking about some of the things going on in modern culture. 
Um, but before we get there, uh, I'm just going to take a quick break to let you know uh, a little bit about what's going on with our new partners, uh, the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity, and a few um, awesome um, events that they have coming up. On June 1st, join the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity in Grimsby, Ontario for a full-day event called Love Thy Body, a conference on humanity, sexuality, art and God, with special guest speaker Nancy Piercy and EICC founder Joe Boot. Don't miss this event at the site of high-impact training seminars, including the Worldview Leadership Camp for Youth and the Runner Academy for Students and Young Professionals. Register for these events by visiting www.ezrainstitute.ca. All right, we are back, and uh, and there are several things that I kind of wanted to talk about. One of the things I just kind of wanted to headline, whether you are uh, Canadian like we are, or if you are in America, uh, one of the biggest news stories to come out a, a couple of weeks ago was the the, the Mueller report, um, where um, it was uh, it finally, it seems, um, conclusively stated that there was no collusion between the Trump uh, campaign, the Trump administration, and the Russian government to try to interfere in um, the last presidential election. Um, and, and so, I mean, there's so many things that you could say about this, and I don't want to, the, the mainstream media has been doing a good enough job of just beating a dead horse. Uh, so I don't want to continue to beat that dead horse. But what I will say is, um, you know, after all this, after all the airtime after all of the ink that was spilled after all of the venom and all of the um, animosity stirred up and all of the division that happened uh, between conservatives and liberals republicans and democrats um, it was all much ado about nothing and i I, and what i would say is um you know this isn't a a defense of trump or his presidency i I think actually history will show that he's actually been a very good president for a lot of uh, a lot of Christian um, interests. Uh, But, you know, aside from whatever his presidency has done, I would just say um, it's good to see due process kind of come through. Uh, It's amazing how many people had him guilty before he was proven guilty. And uh, that goes back to something we talk about a lot on Rebel Alliance, and that is kind of uh, God's view of justice, God's biblical justice as opposed to man's justice. And uh, the Bible says that uh, a man ought to be innocent until proven guilty, that he ought to be proven guilty by uh, two or three witnesses. And, uh, And I think where we are, and one of the reasons it's been so hard for Trump haters to um, uh, believe this report is essentially just because they, they were so convinced of his guilt in their own minds because we're so quick to jump to guilt by accusation as opposed to guilt, uh, innocent until proven guilty, that it's harder to backtrack when you've invested so much in, uh, in what you already believe about something before all the information is found. The other thing I just draw attention to is um, that uh, Nancy Pelosi, who is the uh, the Democratic House Speaker and uh, House Majority Leader uh, Steny Hoyer, um, have both kind of called a timeout on impeaching Donald Trump. I know impeachment was something that uh, the Democrats were crying out for amidst all of these investigations. But now that the report has come out, uh, both of both Hoyer and Pelosi have said uh, that they need to move on from impeachment, which has re- just really been in- interesting on how uh, that's been um, responded to with such venom as well. And uh, and I guess 
part of uh, part of what I'd like to kind of say about that is that um, there's a there's a cry out against Donald Trump that I want to I, I want to just say that there's a there's a root issue here that I think not as many people are, are kind of commenting on. And that is just our disdain and hate for authority in general. So it seems like that you know the Democrats who now seem to be turning on Hoyer and Pelosi because they're unwilling to now impeach Trump based on on the lack of evidence for this. Um, it seems like we live in a culture now that whoever whoever it is it doesn't have to be Trump. It doesn't have to be Trudeau. It doesn't have to be you know whomever. There's such a a, a disdain for and a hate hatred towards authority figures that the only time our society seems willing to um, embrace authority is if the authority over them is doing exactly what they want them to do. And so one of the reasons we're in such a cultural divide right now and a political divide right now is because um, Trump embodies so many things that are against what the Democrats um, hold to and hold dear, that there's no way for somebody to submit to authority that doesn't agree with them on kind of every point. And as Christians, we have to remember that all authority is established by God. And that doesn't mean that we submit to or that we agree with or that we prop up those who are um, uh, leading in a way contrary to the word of God. Romans 13 actually says that um, those who are, are rulers, who are appointed rulers by God, are the servants of God to carry out his justice, to carry out his law, to, ca- to bear his sword. Um, but it's interesting because there's no way in a uh, in a pagan worldview, in a, in a non-Christian worldview, um, that doesn't believe in the sovereignty of God. There's no way to accept circumstances that you don't like, right? There's no way for a somebody who doesn't believe in a, an author who is writing the story to reconcile things if things aren't the way they want them to be then they must protest until things become what they want them to be. In, in, in a Christian worldview, and it doesn't mean that we get passive, it doesn't mean that we wash our hands and, and we believe in some sort of fatalism, but we recognize whether, whether we have a godly leader or, or an ungodly leader, we recognize in the sovereignty of God that he's told the story in this particular way, and there's still ways for us to fight and still ways for us to protest and still ways for us to live, but we still live with the peace of knowing that all is as God wills it. And that means that when we have wicked rulers, it means that God, as Calvin said, that when God wants to judge a nation, he gives them wicked rulers. And so um, we we recognize that we are in a time of judgment and that there is work to be done in this time. And so th- for those of us in Canada who have a very ungodly leader in Justin Trudeau, and I'll uh, say more about him in just a moment, um, you know, we, we recognize that as, as bad as that is, as, as much as I wish there was somebody else at the helm, as much as I will be fighting for um, those around me to recognize the importance of, of voting him out the next time it's around, we live under the sovereignty of God, which means that we trust him with history and how he's telling the story. And we work within using the means that are disposable to bring about change and reformation, but ultimately we recognize that God is in control and uh, we can't uh, fight the battle. We can't uh, work outside of God's means for change. Uh, he gives us, he dictates the means and he dictates the ends and we work within him under his sovereign rule. Um, so speaking of Trudeau, um, 
there is uh, there's a there's a whole lot of uh, um, that can be said about that. So uh, for those of you in the states who don't follow Canadian politics, our our leader Justin Trudeau is is caught up in yet another scandal. Um, he's essentially been. Um, uh, accused of uh, of bullying uh, the female uh, attorney general into not prosecuting a particular Quebec um, uh, company um, for um, for in- indictable offenses, and uh, and so this woman who spoke out against what he was doing and another uh, female in his cabinet um, have then been ejected from the Liberal caucus. What's interesting about this is that finally, it seems, after all of the scandals and after everything that Trudeau has done that I think has put Canada in a really bad trajectory, on a, on a really bad trajectory, is, is finally kind of starting to um, uh, catch up to him. So in, um, in a column in the National Post, uh, it says, a majority in a poll conducted um, believe that the, this country, meaning Canada, is on the wrong track. While the government approval rating has fallen 20 points in the past two years and is now lower than the Harper, Harper government's six months before last election. Nearly two thirds of respondents say that Trudeau does not deserve to get reelected. Uh, and then the columnist goes on to offer some commentary. He says, there's a lot of reasons for this shift, of course. The N- uh, SNC-Lavalin scandal and resulting resignation of two prominent female cabinet ministers followed by their eviction from the Liberal caucus. Trudeau's lengthening uh, trail of goofy social justice warrior screw-ups and the Trudeau's image as Canada's woke boyfriend being tarnished by a video of the prime minister mocking Aboriginal activists. Um, have many voters wondering if Trudeau was, in fact, just not ready. And so um, finally, you kind of see this catching up to him. And uh, and I think that one of the things that this comes back to is is something that we've been talking about at, Re- at the Rebel Alliance for a, a little while now. And that is that uh, we seem to be living in a society now where justification comes by ideological alignment. Right. So um, because Trudeau was so popular because he was pro LGBT, he was woke. Right. He was a feminist. He you know, he was trendy. He surfed. You know, he was young. He he connected with young voters, all these silly things that he believed and that he stood for and that he was rather than by his actions. And so biblically speaking, we know that Jesus comes along and he says, you know, a a tree by its fruit and uh, and. And and yet we live in a culture now where, you know, I, I think of guys like Jimmy Kimmel, right? Um, you know, so Jimmy Kimmel um, was, uh, he's obviously a talk show host now, again, always crying out from his late night pulpit about gun control, about racism, about feminism, um, uh, against Donald Trump, against uh, Christianity, all these kinds of things. He is justified by the culture because of his ideological belief. He's he's big on climate change. He's big on gun control. He's big on feminism. All the all the things that are important to our current culture, and so they're able to disregard um, all of you know. They're allowing him to kind of mansplain feminism to America, despite the fact that he got his start on the Man Show, having women jump up and down on trampolines, uh, wearing bikinis. And, and they're willing to overlook that, even though we live in a, a Me Too culture where, you know, um, people who have made indiscretions against females in the past, uh, everything about them is tarnished, right? Exhibit A, Brett Kavanaugh. Um, but they're willing to overlook that with Jimmy Kimmel because of his ideological alignment. 
But I think what we're starting to see is we're starting to see that coming to an end. And I think Trudeau's popularity nosedive is, is a result of that. So you can only get along with saying the right things for so long before your actions catch up with you. And as Christians, we need to continually come back to this idea that we judge a tree by its fruit. Right, that God judges the heart, God weighs the heart, but we know that the way we judge a tree is by its fruit, and, and that's the way that Jesus has called us to judge a tree. And so we ought not to believe um, uh, politicians who call themselves pro-life or, or pro-choice based on, on what they say, on what they do to get elected, but what are their actions? And so similarly, it doesn't matter where somebody lands on the ideological spectrum, are they living out what they believe? And I think that's one of the things that uh, that uh, hopefully this popularity nosedive by Trudeau uh, proves that we're sort of um, getting over that. Um, speaking of ideological, um, uh, where you stand on the ideological spectrum, there's a, an interesting story coming out of New York uh, right now. And so, so for those of you who haven't heard, um, uh, well, for those of you who have been completely living under a rock, um, several uh, weeks ago, I guess almost a couple of months ago now at this point, um, Como in, uh, in New York um, uh, changed the abortion laws in New York to now now allow for uh, abortion up to nine months of pregnancy. And, and the bill, I mean, these are just radical, radical abortion laws or lack thereof um, in that it doesn't even have to be a doctor who performs the abortion, that no medical um, um, practitioner of any kind, whether it be a nurse or even a receptionist, can deny uh, a woman uh, right and access to abortion. Um, it's just very, very radical um pro-choice, pro-abortion, pro-death legislation. Um, One of the other things that it does is it doesn't allow anybody to obstruct a woman from access to abortion. And so um, now what we're seeing is um, a story that's come out where a a woman, a 20-year-old woman who uh, recently got an Uber driver in New York fired for for refusing to take her to an abortion clinic. And, uh, and not only did she get him fired from Uber, but she's now actually looking to sue him. So um, I'll just read part of the article here. A 20-year-old college student in upstate New York reported an Uber driver for refusing to take her to get an abortion. According to the woman's account, which was reported by Yahoo, uh, the ride-sharing company canned the pro-life driver. Uh, But now the woman is looking to take legal action against the driver. Uh, This is a quote from the woman. I'm in college in upstate New York, and I don't have a car on campus because it's expensive. I'm 20 years old, and I found out I was pregnant, and subsequently I decided I wanted to get an abortion because I'm in no position to care for the child. She found a clinic about an hour from her university because the nearby Planned Parenthood had a schedule that didn't work for her. Because I don't have a car, I rely on Uber to get me places, she said. The student then recounted her interaction with an Uber driver who attempted to dissuade the woman from choosing an abortion before telling her he could not drive her to the clinic. So um, essentially what happened was uh, she gave the address and I'm assuming that the Uber driver plugged it into a GPS, saw that it was it was an abortion clinic. And then the Uber driver began to ask, you know, and uh, there's a quote here. Um, Can I ask, are we going to an abortion clinic? I know this isn't my business, but dot, dot, dot. And uh, and so this woman was shocked and appalled that she was being asked uh, um, personal things. And then the Uber driver ended up 
uh, pulling over and saying that he couldn't take her there and uh, and and even pleaded with her you know don't get this abortion this is another quote you're going to regret this decision for the rest of your life you're making a big mistake so first of all i would like to say um to that uber driver i mean good for you um this is um, more and more, I think we're seeing that some of the cultural wars being waged on the very front lines of, of just lay individuals. It's not the, the pastors like myself who actually, in, in a lot of ways, make a living off the culture war. So I say things that are distinctly Christian and, and anti-LGBT or anti-feminist or, or whatever the case may be. And I get applauded for it because, you know, the people who are listening to us are generally Christians who, are, who need a good shot in the arm about getting involved in the culture. Culture war. So in a lot of ways, the culture war doesn't affect, you know, pastors as much. I mean, pastors are still called on to be courageous and bold. And I think the time is coming where we'll be persecuted. And there are some some cases here in Canada of uh, pastors, particularly out West, who are facing hate crime charges and all that kind of thing for teaching what the Bible says about homosexuality. Um, but more and more, what we're seeing is that the front lines of the culture war is actually taking place in in, in people outside of ministry. It's, it's the Jack Phillips cake baking shops that uh, refuse to make um, uh, uh, cakes that celebrate uh, gay m- marriage. It's, uh, you know, it's the Uber drivers who refuse to take women to go get abortions. Um, it, those are the people who are sacrificing their livelihood in order to, um, um, be true to, to their beliefs. And this is the, the whole point. And what I would, what I would say to, to whoever is listening, whatever vocation you find yourself in, um, there's going to be a time when you're asked to compromise. There's going to be a time when you're asked to do something that you know, as a Christian, you ought not to do. This is one of those cases where you ought to say no. And I'm sure that Uber driver, uh, the article actually describes it being a little while between questions. And then sort of um, the the 20-year-old college student actually says that unexpectedly and sort of out of nowhere, the Uber driver pulls over and asks her to get out because he can't take her to the abortion clinic. And, And what's interesting, and he didn't make her pay, by the way, so she got halfway there without having to pay for it. Um, what's, uh, what's interesting about that is, uh, I, I imagine the inner dialogue that's going on in the dri- in the Uber driver's mind, right? Thinking about all the ramifications, right? I could lose my job for this. I might get sued for this. Um, you know, justifying it perhaps in their own mind. Well, you know, I'm not the one giving them an abortion. I've said my piece. I've told her that she's going to regret it, yada, yada, yada. There, it would have been very easy for that Uber driver to kind of talk themselves into not sacrificing. Well, you know, I have a family I have to care for. It's my responsibility. But at the end of the day, they recognize that their Christian duty, um, that that in order to preserve life, they could not participate willingly in in this. And and I'm just, I just throw that out there for any um, any Christian in any business, in any um, setting, there's going to be a time when you are, are faced with the same sort of ethical dilemma or a different ethical dilemma where you have to choose whether or not you're going to be a faithful Christian or if you are going to compromise. And I think the only way we're going to win the culture war is if, if everyday Christians who are cake bakers and Uber drivers and um, you know med- medical practitioners and lawyers and um, all these various trades um, when they are faithful and they are not willing to compromise in their spheres, then it's not just the pastors and the podcasters and the, the authors who are fighting the cultural war on the Christian's behalf, but it's all of us, wherever God has placed us being faithful 
and uh, and trying to um, get involved in the culture war as uh, as best we can. So um, so hats off to the Uber driver, and uh, we'll continue to uh, kind of follow this uh, follow this story as closely as we can. Uh, a couple other things that just kind of piqued my interest um, as we were looking as I was looking at uh, at headlines. Um, there there uh, have been uh, massive attacks on Christians in uh, in Sri Lanka, and uh, there's an excellent article I would uh, I would send you to at uh, at the Bridgehead. Um, the headline of the article is just uh, the mainstream media is terrible at covering persecution of Christians because they despise what Christianity teaches. And so I'm just going to read uh, part of this is by uh, uh, Jonathan Van Maren. And uh, he says, it's difficult to get surprised by the mainstream media's utter ignorance of religion. But last week I spotted a headline that almost seemed to be an intentional parody of that fact. It was an Associated Press headline by Nicole Winfield and Colleen Berry on an article intended to helpfully give context to the events surrounding the fire at the great Paris Cathedral. Quote, tourist Mecca Notre Dame also revered as a place of worship. The article with that car crash of a title was filed of all places from Vatican City. Following the reaction to the the fire at Notre Dame, there were the responses of Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton to the ruthless massacre of Christians celebrating Easter across Sri Lanka, resulting in the deaths of 321 men, women, and children, and the injury of hundreds more. While condemnations of the recent atrocities at mosques in New Zealand by a white supremacist killer were specific in naming the ideology that sparked the murders and the faith that made the victims a target, Obama and Clinton responded to the bombing of Christians by Islamist terrorists by referring to the attack on, quote, Easter worshipers, prompting nearly universal mockery and demands that they actually call the victims what they were, Christians who were butchered in their churches because they were Christians. You read the whole article at the bridgehead, but um, what I, I, it, what this highlights is um, the same thing that the uh, that the abortion um, uh, Uber dri- the abortion story with the Uber driver highlights, and that is that there seems to be in our culture where tolerance has been highlighted as the highest of all virtues. Um, the, the tolerance has to stop somewhere. The moment you start to in, incorporate different ideologies under your umbrella of tolerance, it's to invite war into your, your umbrella of peace. And so somebody has to be left out of the tent. Somebody has to be left out in the rain from outside of the umbrella. And it seems as though in our, in our modern North American culture, that's Christianity. So Obama and Clinton, who both uh, condemned white supremacy and the white supremacist who killed the, the Muslims worshiping in their mosques, used all of this language. They wouldn't call the victims of these Sri Lanka killings Christians. They wouldn't say that they were killed because they were Christians, as they did about the Muslims who were slaughtered in the New Zealand mosques. And, and um, just like they very quickly said, it was a white supremacist um, because of his white supremacist beliefs who killed these Muslims, they were unwilling to say that it was a, an extreme um, a, a, uh, Islamic terrorist. Um, and, uh, and, 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 you know, for sure, uh, they could have made the caveat that not all Muslims are extremists, and, and, and absolutely. But they were even unwilling to use the terms Muslim and Christian in their description of it because 
um, Christianity is the enemy, whether it's whether it's spoken or unspoken. In in a world desiring tolerance and wanting to elevate tolerance to the highest of virtues, something has to not be tolerated. Intolerance is an inescapable concept, as we say. So in order to tolerate one thing, you must intolerate something else, right? So just like in order to love children, you must hate child abuse. In order to tolerate, you know, children, uh, you know, um, uh, I, I would say uh, um, vulnerable people like children in our society, you must intolerate child abuse. And so with every tolerance comes an intolerance. And it seems as though in order to elevate tolerance, you must not tolerate Christianity because Christianity is by definition intolerant. It's a religion that says there's one way to God through Jesus Christ. What I find so interesting about this and, and so much of what's going on in our culture right now is that, you know, Islam is is just as intolerant. In fact, I would say, I you know, as a Christian, I would say more so than Christianity, it, Islam is um, intolerant because Christians believe in the overcoming of homosexuality. So we might condemn homosexuality, but we believe in the overcoming of homosexuality by conversion. Um, you know, uh, according to the Quran and, and according to uh, Islam, um, there, there's nothing wrong with putting homosexuals to death. We understand there are um, Levitical laws about putting homosexuals to death. We also recognize that um, in uh, that God's first and, and primary way of putting his enemies under his feet is by convert by conversion. And so as Christians, we don't we we don't use violence. Um, and uh, and it, it's just interesting to me that um, Christianity is on the outs and, and Islam is on, on the in. And uh, um, there's a great book by Doug Wilson called M uh, Empires of Dirt. And, and he kind of argues that this, this um, nonsense of cultural theology that's going on right now, the nonsense of LGBT issues, the nonsense of, you know, um, gender is fluid and you can identify however you want. And yet feminism would say that, that women are, are special and unique and ought to be protected and celebrated. Well, both those things can't be true. Either women are special and, and ought to be celebrated and protected or, um, anybody can be one, but those two things both can't be true. And so as Doug Wilson is walking through some of the nonsense, um, competing ideologies of secular humanism, he says, this is a house of cards that's ready to fall. And one of two things is going to be poised to pick up the pieces. And that is either Christianity that's willing to embrace a mere Christendom, or it's going to be Islam because they, they already have the method of Sharia law that would be more than happy to pick up the pieces of a failed subjective morality of secular humanism. So I, I would encourage you to read that. And, uh, and the more and more you see this sort of nonsense, the more you recognize how astute Doug Wilson was in, um, in pointing that out. Um, a couple other things just to encourage you to, um, uh, continue to pray for, uh, our Chinese, uh, brothers and sisters in China. Uh, we have, we have, uh, church missionaries who are there right now. And we've talked on the podcast about everything that's going down in terms of the crackdown. Many of you are, are, uh, familiar with, uh, the, the, the persecution that happened at, uh, latter rain, um, or early rain, sorry, uh, Baptist church in, uh, in China, some of the persecution that's been going on. Um, uh, one thing that's going on now is that, uh, the, the communist Chinese government is, uh, is actually 
infiltrating the churches with spies. And so um, more and more there are spies who are kind of um, guising themselves as um, seekers or, or people uh, looking for uh, churches and, uh, and going there because the Chinese government has outlawed certain things, including um, uh, uh, Chinese citizens and, um, and immigrants uh, worshiping together. So um, there are national churches um, for the people of China, and then there are, are immigrant or national churches um, for uh, immigrants or visitors in China. They can't worship together. Um, they, they don't allow any children. I, I want to say the age is 12 and under. Uh, I, I could be wrong on the, the age um, where they don't allow children attending church or being educated in any sort of religious perspective. Um, and, uh, and so it's interesting. So they're, you know, they're cracking down on these sorts of things and they recognize the, the danger of Christians educating their own children, whether it be in church or in Christian school settings. And so they've outlawed that. So the, what the communist government is essentially doing right now is they are, they're acquiescing to, and and there's something crazy, like 300 million Christians reported in, uh, in China right now. I mean, the revival that's going on there is incredible. And so the, the Chinese government is, is rightly recognizing this as a threat to their atheism and their communism. And, uh, and so it, their, their desire to spin it, their desire to control it is um, rather than shutting churches down, which has only proven to actually strengthen the church, um, they've now changed their tactic to not allowing children to be educated by the church or in Christian education um, institutions. So they're essentially what they're hoping is if Christians are, are incapable of discipling their children, raising their children, then, um, uh, then Christianity will naturally die out by the next generation. And I want you to think about this, Christian. So not only should we continue to pray for uh, our, church, our, church, our Christian brothers and sisters in China, but I want you to think about that. So the, the communist Chinese government, the atheistic Chinese government, recognizes well enough that if they can simply hinder the evangelism of Christian parents with their children, then they can kill off Christianity in a couple of generations. Um, they understand the importance of Christian education, more so than we do. So we still have a ton of Christians who, who enjoy the freedoms in North America, um, and, and yet we continue to send our children off. We don't, we don't need the government to outlaw Christian education. We willingly choose atheistic education, where we continue to send our kids to government-run schools teaching the gospel of secular humanism and, um, and, and choosing not to educate our, our kids, either in a Christian setting or in, uh, in a homeschool setting. So what w- there are so many Christians who are looking at this and saying, oh, how dare the Chinese government? And I would just say, so they don't have a choice in this. Of course, they have a choice to revolt and they ought to choose to revolt. But they don't have a choice in this. We, as North American Christians, we have the choice. We have the free choice of not sending our kids to go get catechized by a pagan government in a government-run school, and yet we choose oppression. We we choose this for ourselves. So we are essentially choosing what has been foisted upon the Chinese Christians, and we're choosing it willingly simply because, what, why? Because of convenience because we want to have you know two household incomes because like why we and and so we are sacrificing the future of our faith 
moving on and, and being strengthened in the next generation simply because of well whatever it is that's keeping your kids in the government schools so I you know I know that that's I've seen that out on social media quite a bit and and it is horrible and we have to pray for them but we we can't fail to see the connection to our own lives and our own choice for educating our kids and uh, and similarly for all the all of the churches um, who would look and say oh how how horrible is it that their children can't be included in Sunday worship and I, I I would just ask like does your church include children in Sunday worship I mean are are they are they just relegated to an age specific segregated program that's that's meant more for um, you know, drawing pictures and teaching morality tales or entertaining them? Or are they staying in? Are they, are they singing with the rest of the family? Are they, are they watching you tithe? Are they hearing you pray? Are they, are they part of church worship? Or might as well they have been left at home? Would that have been easier? Because, um, you know, all these things that we're, we're crying out as unjust happening in China, it seems to me as though the North American church is actually choosing it um, willingly, which is sad. Uh, last highlight that I, last headline that I just kind of want to touch on, and that is, um, that, uh, the Methodist church looks like it might splinter over their view of, uh, homosexuality. So this is from, uh, worldview in five minutes. It says beginning today, um, and this is uh, on uh, April 24th when I'm recording this. Beginning today, the United Methodist Church Judicial Council meets on charges that the traditional plan, which refuses to promote homosexuality, does not meet the denomination's constitutional standards. A majority of U.S.-based delegates opposed that plan and favored sexual perversion, but they were outvoted by U.S. Uh, conservatives teamed with most of the delegates from the Methodist strongholds in Africa and the Philippines. The request for judicial decision passed the body by a vote of 405 to 395. United Methodist Church membership topped out at 10.7 million people in 1970, dropping to 7 million in 2016, with only about 2.6 million actually attending weekly. Additional countries make up the other 5 million members. Um, and so this is uh, just the, the Methodist, what, what's so sad about this, um, so the, the Methodist, uh, kind of global Methodist church, they got together, and uh, this was going back several months ago, and they voted on whether or not essentially to accept homosexuality and, uh, and whether or not as a denomination they had to change their views away from uh, an orthodox and biblical view of, um, of Christian marriage. And, and essentially what the, the U.S. branch of the United Methodist Church recognized was the reason it was defeated is because there were more delegates or more uh, accredited ministers and lay people um, voting from outside of the U.S. than there were from inside of the U.S. If, if you just look at the U.S., the vote of the, the U.S., it would have passed with an, an, an alarming, I want to say it was something like 80%. I saw the statistics somewhere, but uh, we'll just say 80% for, uh, to be safe because it was, it was higher than that. So now what is on the table is essentially the, the North American branch of the United Methodist Church splintering off to become a subcategory of the Method United Methodist Church so that they can embrace homosexuality. And it what's interesting is that, you know, this is just one, whether, whether we're talking about the Methodists or we're talking about the, the United Church, the Anglican Church, uh, the, the Presbyterian Church of Canada, um, whether we're looking at, there, there's, uh, you know, all kinds of denominations. I know for a fact that this was on the table. This was something that was on the agenda to, to be talked about at the... the um, 
uh, Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada at their um, biannual uh, meeting. Uh, it, I, I can tell you it was, it was discussed at the Christian Missionary Alliance level. Um, and, and though there are a lot of denominations holding out and continuing to hold, every time a vote is called, it seems as though those who sympathize with the LGBT uh, position grows. And so this is just a call for um, for for orthodoxy, and it, it, it might be time. And you know, we're we're part of the Rebel Alliance media, happily alongside the Van Brimmers, who who we love and agree with like ninety nine percent of theological issues. With we disagree on baptism, right? They they are pedo Baptist by conviction. We are credo Baptist by conviction. But the more and more I see stories like this, the more I recognize the need for conservative biblical. Christians to not align denominationally so much as they they do on central issues. I would much rather be a part of a church that maybe held loosely their view on baptism as long as they were actually held tightly to what the Bible very clearly says about homosexuality. Um, about uh, about marriage, about and 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 all the plethora of other complementarianism. Some of the things that the Bible is very very clear on, and I think you know I I know for a long time there's been sort of this divide between Reformed Presbyterians or Reformed Baptists because of the issue of baptism. But it, it might be time for us as Christians to rethink where we draw lines, because like I said, I would much rather I would much much rather um, be in a church with somebody I disagree on the form of baptism with than somebody who I disagree with whether or not women can be ordained ministers, whether or not uh, uh, somebody who is gay can practice a homosexual lifestyle and, uh, and not be in sin. Uh, and so the more we see um, outright sin being embraced and celebrated within our denominations, I think the more we need to rethink where we draw lines and faithful Christians need to be more willing to band together with people who on tertiary issues we might disagree with, um, who are going to uh, courageously stand against the coming tide of um, kind of woke Christianity, um, trying to reform our churches in a very ungodly way. So um, those are just some headlines that caught my attention this week. Um, hopefully you enjoyed uh, thinking through some cultural issues with, uh, with me. Um, uh, next week, hopefully we'll be back in studio and I won't be alone, um, but uh, check out the other podcasts this week. Uh, definitely start listening to the podcast for Cultural Reformation coming out of the Ezra Institute, who are part of the Rebel Alliance Media Network now. Um, and uh, and thanks for listening. Check out everything at rebelalliancemedia.com. I'll be back again next week. And uh, until next time, engage culture with biblical worldview in whatever sphere God has given to you. Take care. <laughs>